welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. A judge has ordered a temporary halt to deportations of about 2,500 migrant families who were separated during the border crossing crackdown. The ACLU told Judge Dana Sabra yesterday that there were rumors the Trump administration was planning immediate mass deportations for migrant parents after they're reunited with their children. Here's ACLU lawyer Lee Gallant outside the courthouse after the order was issued. We are extremely pleased. The government has said now that they're going to get the other reunifications done by the 26th. I think the judge is going to hold them to it. The commander, Commander White, was here overseeing the process, said it's going to get done. We are hopeful it's going to get done. Joining me is Rick Sue, an immigration law expert and a professor at the University of Buffalo School of Law. Rick, first, as far as the immediate deportations following reunification, is the government within the law in doing that? Uh, this is the problem. Uh, so essentially what the ACLU was concerned about was that the government was going to go uh, away from and back out of uh, a deal that they had struck the week before with regard to how to reunify these families and still comply uh, with the Flores Agreement. And there was actually a very surprising order last week in which the government and the ACLU agreed that the parents should have a choice of whether to keep their kids with them or to potentially uh, keep uh, leave their kids behind so that they can provide uh, a, a, a sort of their asylum, uh, pursue their asylum application. Uh, the problem with this deportation is that the ACLU fears that they're using the parents and the temptation of reunification to urge them to abandon their claims before they have the time to discuss whether their children's asylum claims should be uh, continued to be pursued. So in other words, it's, it's, if they follow that, then they are within the law in, deport, in deporting um, these immigrant families. Well, the problem with the law here is that there was a agreement before that these individuals, the parents and the children, should have time to consult about what they choose to do before that they're deported, or if they choose to remain in the United States in detention, they can also do that as well. Uh, the fear here is that they did deport immediately. The time for this consultation uh, wouldn't happen, and essentially the parents and the children would be forced to uh, uh, abandon their asylum claim. So why would... Uh what is there more of a hope if you leave your child behind that the child is going to get asylum when you wouldn't? Uh, there may be. Essentially, what's going on now is that uh, because the children and the parents are separated, both of them have separate lawyers and are pursuing claims on their own. That's why we had that strange uh, situation uh, last week in, in which you know one-year-olds were being brought into court uh, to sort of pursue their own claim. Uh, essentially, what the ACLU wants to say is that for these individuals to actually have time to discuss their claims is the only way to vindicate their rights. What the fear is now is that the government may be sort of uh, using reunification uh, as a way of convincing parents before they even talk to their kids and potentially even looking at the claims that might be available to just agree to be removed, abandon their claim in order to be reunited. And there's always been a fear that this was a purpose all along. Did, is there any proof that that has happened? 
there is a, there's a lot of rumors that it's been uh, that that this is going on. There doesn't seem to be any proof, but it seems like the court here is concerned enough that this might be going on or may happen uh, to sort of implement this particular temporary injunction with regard to deportation. Certainly, if it wasn't going on, then the government shouldn't be concerned about uh, this particular injunction. It shouldn't be affecting anything that they're already not doing. Uh, though the government has said that they are going to appeal this, so uh, it may be that the rumors have some truth to them. Now, we've talked before about the all the testing and research that the government was doing before they reunited family parents with their children, including DNA testing. And according to some of the testimony there, they have weeded out some adults in this vetting process who had criminal histories that included rape and kidnapping. What do you know about that? Uh, so right now, there seems to be at least uh, the cons- uh, the government has said that that is the case. Though so, uh, my understanding is that it's a small number of the 2,500 uh, parents that have been separated from their children. Uh, I haven't seen yet any specific details about who these individuals are, uh, and it's likely that it will be a while before those details come out, if ever, given that there is concerns about privacy and confidentiality here. Now, the parents of 71 children still have not been identified. Might it be that the parents were already sent back? It could definitely be. Uh, one of the problems when they separated the children from the parents is that they were also sent to two different bureaucracies. And with all the hearings before uh, Judge Sabral about this reunification, uh, it seems to be a picture emerging that there wasn't a lot of planning that went into it. Um, so, it'll, again, it will be probably a while before we figure out exactly what happened to those, um, again, if ever. Uh, but it certainly suggests that there was some uh, problems with the coordination between the two agencies here. Overall, the judge voiced great confidence with the government's reunification plan, though, didn't he? He did. And a lot of it is actually with regard to HHS. Uh, and they, I think they do have the uh, children's best interests in mind and are working very hard with regard to this. But again, coordinating with DHS, on the other hand, especially ICE, uh, seems to have been part of the problem. And there also seems to be a slight sort of policy disagreement, which is coming up with this uh, threat of deportation. I think there is still a strong segment on DHS that is very inclined to not give in too much and still have a deterrent effect uh, with regard to future entrants. So, Rick, do we know, have there been any hearings so far, or any of these immigrants who have been separated from their children, or any of them getting, um, you know, the ability to stay here? Uh, so there has actually been some other cases that have been happening around the sides and some decisions made by the government to release some of these individuals. Um, so there was actually a recent case, and this is all going to sort of come to a head sooner or later, uh, by Judge Bolton in Connecticut, uh, where he actually ruled in favor of the children, uh, and actually the government agreed to release the parents to the children. Uh, this is something that they've resisted in the past, so we'll see where this goes in terms of future determinations. This far, they have not been willing to bring the parents to the children. What they've been trying to do is bring the children into the parents' detention facilities, uh, uh, and that is something that the ACOU wants to say that the parents should have a choice about. There were a lot of asylum claims from this group that I heard about, you know, not being safe in their country because of gangs and violence from gangs. Is that being accepted as a reason for asylum? 
So this is something that has to be worked out. And this is something interesting. With all the discussion about family separation and what to do if we were to reunify them, uh, in some ways, the bigger picture, the substantive asylum claim, has kind of been uh, left on the side of the table, right? Um, we haven't really looked at those particular claims of these particular individuals uh, as deeply. Now, Jeff Sessions has released, uh, has sort of made a decision that seemed to limit these claims. How that's going to play out, however, I think is waiting to be seen. And I think that's what a lot of these parents and children and their advocates want to see happen, is that want to see this play out as opposed to being forced to accept a deportation in order to reunify with their uh, parents and uh, children. Still a lot of hazy instances here, and uh, we'll have to wait and see how the courts rule. Thanks so much, Rick. That's Rick Sue. He's a professor at the University Buffalo School of Law. Sinclair's $3.9 billion acquisition of Tribune's TV stations was expected to close by early August, but now it may not close at all, and it's the FCC chairman who's thrown a wrench into the deal. On Monday, Ajit Pai questioned the legality of the deal, saying he has serious concerns about Sinclair's controversial plan to sell TV stations in order to meet ownership limits. Joining me is Matthew Shettelhelm, Bloomberg Intelligence Litigation Analyst. So the FCC is sending the issues to an administrative judge for a hearing. How much of a setback is that for Sinclair and the deal? This really is a major setback for the deal. Uh, the, the FCC, when it when it has issues with a, a transaction like this, it, it's not its practice to outright deny it. It's to effectively kill it with process by by sending it to an administrative hearing that no company could could you know, practically endure. And so you, you could you could face a, a, an administrative uh, judge looking at these issues for six to nine months, complete with wow. discovery from your opposition, your foes digging into to your practices, cross-examination. And then the appeal goes to the media bureau at the FCC, and then another appeal to, still at the FCC. It's process after process, and there's no way you can get all that done and still, you know, want to go, go ahead with your deal. So a number of, of big transactions have been killed by the FCC designating these things for hearing. And, and so that's that's looks like the way it's going here at the FCC as well. So Sinclair said it's prepared to resolve any perceived issues. So that's hopeful. That's right. <laughs> hopeful. They're clearly not giving up yet. And there, there may be ways around. I don't expect Sinclair to be willing to go through all that process. And so so what they may do instead is, is say, okay, FCC, you're concerned about our divestitures of, of uh, three or four of these stations. You don't like who we're giving them to. Let us rework that. We'll fix that. And then you can put that out for comment. We can we can work with that. Let us address your concerns uh, aside from all that process. I expect that's the next move. I don't think this necessarily is the end of the road for Sinclair Tribune. It's a very strong signal from Ajit Pai that he's he's not going to allow just anything, uh, despite his his general sympathy. I think to to Sinclair's position. Yeah. Was this move a surprise coming from Pi? Uh, I, it really was because uh, in all his time as a, as, as a commissioner at the FCC, he's he's been a big backer of the broadcasters and a really a big advocate for the position that these rules the FCC has in place are w- extremely out of date and and really not fair. And so there's no question Sinclair came into this with a big advantage. It had a, a Republican-controlled FCC 
that was very likely to view this favorably. I think it may have just been a little too aggressive in pushing for every last advantage and every last market. And 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 this is Ajit Pai standing up and saying, no, this goes too far. Go into a little more of the specifics about what he found to be a problem. Sure. So so this is really driven by the national ownership cap. There, the FCC has a rule that says you can only reach 39% of, of the U.S. population. When Sinclair announced this deal, it reached 72%. Big problems from the start. The FCC did change the math, restored this discount that, that then all of a sudden um, made Sinclair much closer. It was only reaching 45% of, of the U.S. The difference is in that last 6%. Sinclair proposed to divest stations in Dallas, Houston, and Chicago to try to get down to that last 39%. But it, it sent them, it proposed to divest those, those stations to companies with very close ties to Sinclair itself. So you had uh, foes of the deal come into the docket and say, whoa, these are not real, real divestitures. These are sham transactions that they are just holding the licenses. And as soon as they can, they're going to give them right back to Sinclair. This is this. You can't allow that to happen. Now, the FCC. You mentioned this. The um, what's called. Let me see. Uh, the UHF discount. Right. And the FCC's inspector general is said to be investigating whether Ajit Pai improperly pushed for rule changes to help clear the way for Sinclair's Tribune bid, which. Pi denies. Also, there is a court that's investigating. So how that's, does that all play in? Oh, so that's just a whole nother level of complication for the deal. We're, we're waiting right now for a decision from the D.C. Circuit in a case that was argued April 20th uh, to say, hey, when, when the FCC changed the math, it restored this UHF discount to change how you calculate that 39%. Was that lawful? Because the FCC concedes that that actually the UHF discount is obsolete. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense anymore. And so the, the Three judges in court stared them down and said, are you serious? You're really trying to restore an obsolete rule? The FCC had a really tough time with that argument. So we're waiting for that decision, which could come, you know, I expect it sometime in August. And so if that comes, Sinclair has a, a whole nother host of issues to deal with. So did it, did it, Sinclair has been criticized for requiring its stations to carry conservative content, et cetera, et cetera. Did that play into this at all? Only in the sense that 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 Sinclair, by allowing this process to drag out for so long, it's allowed this sort of political noise to to build up, and 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 the it's, the volume has grown so loud that that I think it, it even someone sympathetic to to Sinclair's position like Ajit Pai has to start to listen to it. But but technically no, this is you know that's a that's a sort of a side point, and that's not what's really drove driving. Uh, Ajit Pai at this point. And just we have about uh, 45 seconds mm -hmm. here, but I, I understand that the language was very harsh, Ajit Pai's language right. in this in this order or announcement. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and one of the real things that stood out to me that I'll be watching for if the FCC makes this decision is the idea that that some suggested yesterday that the FCC might might say that that Sinclair actually made misrepresentations to the FCC or, or or lacked candor, and that can be a major offense at the FCC that could jeopardize Sinclair on a number of fronts going forward. 
This has turned out to be so interesting. Thank you so much, Matthew. That's Matthew Schettenhelm, Bloomberg Intelligence Litigation Analyst. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.